Welcome to episode 39 of Tall Poppy. I'm your host, Tathra Street. This is where we look at leadership from a different angle. And today, my guest is Jen Story, who has a wide-ranging career path that is far from linear. And it's brought her to a point where she's now advising organizations on disruption and innovation, and not just your garden variety innovation. She defines it in a particular way to avoid confusion with all the crap out there that is being called innovation. When we've talked about the future of work and innovation and disruption on Tall Poppy before, but there's something different about Jen's take on it. It's kind of, well, I don't know, essentially, you know, human-centered, which is the essence of the leadership that Tall Poppy is all about. She's working with organizations to make sure they don't fall over in this wave of disruption, specifically large organizations, because she can see what impact that would have on our economy and ultimately our lives all of us, really. So this episode is likely to be of interest for a variety of reasons. If you work for a big company and you're worried about your long-term job prospects, or you see your own company trying to jump into the innovation bandwagon and not doing it so well, or you have a broad range of skills that you're not quite sure what to do with and where to go next, this will offer insights that you may not have considered. We talk about career prospects for her daughter, how to relate to having a set of skills that can't be pigeonholed or put into a nice, neat package, and how to make the future of work a little less scary, and what's possible for the future. So listen up and enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome Jen's story to Tall Poppy. Welcome, Jen. Thank you very much for having me, Tatra. So let's start with where in the world are you? Right now, I'm sitting on my couch, wrapped up under a blanket, despite it being supposedly spring. It's quite cold in Carlton North tonight. So I'm sort of tucked in and ready to talk. I hear you. I was pretty rugged up this morning, and uh, then it got sunny, and now I'm rugged up again, such as Melbourne. Indeed. So I first met you at General Assembly, where you were talking about... um, what I took away was the whole disruption and innovation piece. But, but um, do you remember what it was that was the, the, the topic? And I know that it was also your sort of meandering path in terms of how you got to where you are. But do you remember what the... The topic was leadership in the age sort of, of innovation. Right. Of course, yeah. that's what drew me to it. Yeah. Excellent. So can you say a little bit about um, that meandering path and kind of how you got to where you are? Yeah, it's quite... As you saw in the night, it's quite useful to have the visual because it's it certainly hasn't been a planned path and people always think that it has been a very deliberate choice. So I began, you know, coming out of uni doing an education degree where I could teach physics and English in high school, thinking this is kind of useless. I don't really <laughs> want to be a teacher. And then I did a postgrad in information technology and information systems. Then I went and did a master's in public relations where I did a thesis um, over 20 years ago on how this worldwide web thing was going to change the way companies engage with customers, which was a bit interesting Mm. because my supervisor at the time sort of didn't really know what I was talking about. So that was a fun thesis to defend. So I've worked in everywhere from marketing and then into product, a lot of strategy work. I've worked across almost all sectors. I've been a management consultant, still am a management consultant in big firms, small firms, um, independently, large banks, large advertising companies, large media companies. I've had this really um, 
complex, which is why it made such a great diagram to sort of explain where I've come from and where I've ended up. And where I've ended up is smack bang in the middle of being an innovation consultant. And I also would uh, sit on a board and advise other boards about technology and digital and innovation. Excellent. So talk to me a little bit about the the vision you have for how things could be if we are able to embrace disruption and able to really ride the that wave and allow for innovation to to really take hold and and open things up what what do you see see if i could really think of a better word than innovation i would because it's one of those words you know it's the word du jour at the moment it's everyone sort of is talking about it and i i think often people aren't defining it in the same way that I do. I sort okay. of see there's 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 improvements. There was like, oh, it's, it's a very innovative improvement. But if you're improving <laughs> just something that you've fundamentally always done, it's still an improvement. It's something that you should have possibly been doing all along. Mm-hmm. And an innovation to me is something that is still something where you have got the, you've got as an organisation, you've got, the capacity to do something differently but still leveraging a lot of the knowledge or the skills that you have in have already so you're doing something slightly different and you're you're pushing up into a space that possibly before was kind of unthinkable and then we're into the disruption piece where it really is that that truly unthinkable stuff where you would never have gone before. Maybe you're a B2B business and you've never even thought about going into consumer space, but there's an opportunity there and you, you leap and make that, that change. And I think we have disruption happening of businesses, but we also have when an, uh, an industry is disrupted by other players or by startup, that's sort of happening, a disruption happening within an industry. But I see there's also this huge potential for complete disruptions of industry. And the, the best sort of example I can give around this, and it's going to be around, you know, travelling. So we've got, mm. you know, taxis, which have, you know, are suffering immensely. And you know that when an incumbent organisation is feeling such exquisite pain, you know that there's disruption taking place. Mm-hmm. So the taxi industry, it is not coping with the arrival of Uber in most countries Mm -hmm. so taxis were failing us because we couldn't get them they often didn't turn up they weren't off this is you know great gross generalization because Mm. obviously there are some incredibly I don't think there's anyone listening who hasn't had that experience yeah and you know and it's and it's unfair on all of the other taxis who aren't representative of this but this was the became the general consensus Mm -hmm. was that they were just hard it was hard to get a ride and if you've ever been in Sydney at three o'clock at taxi change over time and you had to get to the airport, it was just not going to happen mm. for you. You had to do anything, anything other than try and catch a cab to get to the airport. So then originally there was um, uh, GoCatch, which came along as an app, which enabled you to say, I'm here and you could see the taxis around you and you could get a taxi to come through this app on the phone. Oh, yeah. And it was great for the, for the rider. And it was also really great for the drivers from the concept was so the drivers wouldn't have to take a dead ride. So if they had driven out to, say, in I'm going to use Melbourne as the example, Mm -hmm. driven out to Preston Mm -hmm. and they had to go back into the city for the next ride, but they could see that they need that I was on the way, they could do a slight diversion, pick me up, and they wouldn't have that entire 
the entire trip being a dead ride. It would just be a bit of it to get to my place. So they could pick up additional fares. So that worked really well for a while. But for a whole bunch of other reasons, that sort of hasn't um, succeeded particularly well. And then, of course, we have Uber, which came about from someone saying, well, why can't any car give us give me a ride? That's just why not? Mm. And when we see that sort of innovation happening versus an improvement, in that instance, I could say that there was nothing to stop the taxi industry from saying the same thing. Why can't any car become a ride for us? But they chose not to because they were very happy and settled with their existing industry. But what I see is a disruption, and it's not even the self-driving vehicles. That'll just be another layer of innovation for Uber. But I see that there's this next level, which is probably going to be virtual reality is what's going to disrupt this because it will negate the need for us to travel anywhere. So that's when we're truly pushing up into that unthinkable space. That's where the disruption really comes in. So I spend a lot of my time trying to think, I always say thinking up, pushing upwards beyond where we're currently seeing ceilings in the different industries that we're working in to see what is out there and how could that be used by an organisation now? How could they position themselves to still be a player in those in layers of innovation up into that disruption space? So I love that, that example because I think everyone can relate to it or at least has had some experience in, in terms of whether it's taxis and or Uber. Can you talk a bit about the work that you're doing now and um, what's important to you about that? The work that I do mostly now is working with very large businesses. I'm talking, you know, large banks, large insurance companies, large energy companies, utilities, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things, and helping them in that innovation space and pushing them up into the disruption space from a very strategic perspective, making them bring in all the, the, the standard, she says in inverted commas, tools where we're bringing it back to really understanding the human needs and then overlaying what is possible and then, like I said, pushing up into this really what is next in the next 10, 15, or in some cases it might still be three. The disruptions could be you know, quite close. They're coming thick and fast, aren't they? Yeah, look, I work with these really large organisations and some of them are staring down the barrel of just such massive disruption and many of them are taking steps to respond and I come in and and help guide and um, advise, whisper if I need to, um, to help them through this process because I I, I just fundamentally believe that these large organisations can change and we've all had horrible experiences with large organisations which just seem to forget about us as customers and don't seem to be meeting our needs Mm -hmm. in fundamental ways and that's a part of it. But I, I kind of push up beyond that and, and try and educate as I go so that the the long tail filters back down to the organisation and they can be better around their customer experience and designing products that customers do want so that they've got their factory that they've got now operating as efficiently as they can while I take them on the journey to, to work out what that new factory is and let them build one while they're still supporting the existing factory. So I try to get them running on on two tracks at a time because, you know, a lot of people like to focus on the startups and and work in that space, and I do do work with startups as well. But 
for me, these large organisations, particularly in a country like Australia, if any one of those falters, it will have a huge effect on our economy. Absolutely. And that is something that was very hard for a com- country of our size to recover from. Mm-hmm. And we have an ageing population. We have a, a huge number of millennials coming into the market. I am the mother of a 11-year-old child who in the next couple of years is going to want to have a job. So there's this entire need to ensure that people still have interesting work to do and that these large organisations are a mm-hmm. part of it. They may not still play the huge role that they do today, but they still will play a role. And, and that's sort of what I see as my the best use of of my crazy brain and the things that I do. Mm, I love that you're going to bat for the big organizations because, you know, I think there are many of us that probably don't have a lot of love for them, but they still need love. They still need someone to say, this is how, you know, to show them, you know, illuminate that path of, you know, this is where the future is headed and, and let's get creative about how to actually move forward into that so that, yeah, there aren't these, big scary disruptions that means lots of job losses look there's there's probably going to be um you know well I, I think of it more as as transition rather than loss um but well and, and maybe i'll ask you what do you see as far as whether it's automation or you know this fear around robots p- taking our jobs what kind of future do you imagine i think there will definitely be some jobs that will no longer exist for humans to do at some level and hopefully they'll be the ones that people don't particularly like doing now anyway Mm-hmm. So things that can that are highly repetitive and can be easily automated don't require any level of creativity or yeah genuine human interaction. So I've just been running around opening bank accounts today, which is always an interesting game to play. And I tried to do it online and I had to have Flash installed. And I'm like, okay, that's really not going to work for me. I tried to do it over the phone and they said, look, we can, but it's not instant. It's going to take a few days. Oh, wow. At this day and age? I'm like, you know what? I'm actually just going to go into a branch. I actually am going to go into a branch, which was a fascinating experience. And it it was a brilliant experience. Dealing with the two different people that I had to just set up the accounts was fantastic and I I learned a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know. Mm. I got to ask questions that I probably Mm -hmm. would not have done and if I had have gone online, I probably wouldn't have had the right Mm. product and a whole bunch of things because my needs were a little bit specific and it reminded me quite acutely that, yes, we can automate some of this, but there is still a lot to be said for having really genuine Mm. human contact. So I know that there will absolutely be jobs but disappear and it is um you know there's probably a lot of data entry stuff and there's which still happens a lot in a lot of organizations and these are people who have probably a mm. lot more to contribute and aren't happy yeah. in their jobs anyway so i would like to imagine that the future is those kinds of jobs can be automated and enable those people to go on and do more interesting things i mean this is a debate that's been happening yeah. for decades so Back when we first began to have internet banking as a real thing, all the call centre staff in would go up in arms in banks and going, you know, you're going to take us take away our jobs. And I'm like, no, we're not. The the really easy stuff, people are going to be able mm-hmm. to do it themselves online. You're going to get mm-hmm. the interesting calls. You're going to get the really interesting problems to solve. You're going to be doing much more. You can go and do and you know much more training and and be a much higher skill and therefore are ultimately mm-hmm. paid more. And so that's a, that's a debate that's been happening for 15 years already. We will make a leap at some point 
where there will be more people facing mm. down that challenge. You know, would I really want my daughter to be thinking about studying law at the moment? Probably not. My my brother is a medical specialist and he's freely admits he can only look at a certain number of scans an hour, but he can get Watson to look at 10,000 wow. in a few minutes. It's fascinating. So he knows that his, his job is going to mm. change dramatically. And also, you know, Watson can go and check against every possible symptom in there yeah. and come back with yeah. a diagnosis. But he then can check it and he can then do research yeah. and, and validate yeah, and working in conjunction. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually spent an hour on uh, the phone with a financial institution today, um, switching mortgage institutions. And um, a lot of it was probably mm-hmm. tedious, probably could have been done online. But, you know, because of the, the laws and just how things are, had to be had to be done on the phone. But but yeah, at the same time, I think there's, there's certainly a role for... Mm. The, that human element and actually being able to have those conversations and get additional information that you just wouldn't necessarily been able be able to if you were doing stuff online or talking to a bot. But I think it also, you know, like you say, it raises the issue in terms of, you know, the education that that's available today and the career paths. And my my partner teaches Digitech, and it's the first year that that's actually been taught in terms of you know helping kids understand not just how to tweet or how to send an SMS, but what's actually behind that technology. Mm. I honestly feel a little bit scared about how uh, our education system isn't effectively preparing people, but I think it also, again, ripe for disruption. You know, there's a lot of self-education that goes on. There's been those studies that talk about how in India they put, like, computers in the walls and kids kind of taught themselves how to to do things, and they didn't need a teacher. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, used the technology to teach themselves. So so what are are you seeing in that space? Yeah, I think education is is a really interesting space for disruption. And I often bang on about STEM, so science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. So that's they're calling it STEAM, yeah. I definitely think that the arts piece is critical as far as bringing the creativity into it because that's where innovation lives. Yeah. In my opinion, anyways, but you probably have something more to say about that. Yeah, it is. I, but the other thing that I think is that is missing particularly in schools in Australia and there are there are pockets of schools that are starting to do more in this space and lots of studies out of the UK about how important it is is the study of philosophy Mm. because philosophy is what is vital it teaches you how to think it teaches you how to challenge things and think about things in new ways so that's a really vital thing that we're missing I think is an overarching skill and even in universities now, because we all pay for degrees and we, you know, people aren't paying for philosophy because there's not a lot of jobs to go and be a yeah, local right, you know, right. philosopher. It's, but it's a, such an important skill. And if you study physics, philosophy is really important to have that as a counterbalance. It, it helps you think and, and dive Ooh. through some of that stuff. And there is a program out of the UK and there is there is a, a group in Australia of uh, as well about bringing philosophy into schools, but it's you know it's very very small, and they're trying you know a small group trying to lobby the government to get it brought into the national curriculum. Fantastic, which is a vital thing. And I you know have long conversations with my daughter. She says, I don't know what I want to be. I'm, I might want to be a YouTuber when I grow <laughs> up. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And she says, can is that possible? I'm like, it is. I what I do mm. didn't probably exist three years ago, and it certainly didn't exist <laughs> when I was eleven. So. I wouldn't be too worried about what it is that you're going to do. She goes, yeah, I figure it doesn't exist yet. And I went, yeah, that's 
pretty wise for 11. Um, but that's they, they're growing up with this technology in a completely different way and they need to be able to think and rationalise the stuff as well as build and do it. And so many tools now, they, without even realising it, you know, they can make their own skins in Minecraft. They can do all that sort of stuff. And I'm going, I'm watching her doing it. I said, do you know what you're doing? She goes, well, I'm just putting the skin on. Like, no, you're, you're scripting, which mm. is the level below programming. And you said you hate, and you hated programming. And she goes, oh, yeah, maybe, but this is fun. I'm like, exactly. It, just, it gets you in and it starts you off. And then before you know it, she'll be mm. doing something completely different. So can we go back to the, the stuff about like what you see as far as whether it's workforce changes or changes in the business world or the, the, I guess the subtext of the question is what is it important for us to pay attention to when it comes to things like the future of work and how things are going to change? I think, and it sort of comes back to uh, the early question mm-hmm. about how I ended up doing what I'm doing and was it planned, was it all this sort of stuff? People think I've you know, made really strategic decisions and I've made decisions as soon as you've made one, you can always unmake it, which is what I've found. You can, you know, I've taken jobs that have been an unmitigated disaster. I'm just going, oh, God, this wasn't what I was expecting or what I thought. I've got to go and do something else straight away. So you've, you've got to extract yourself from those. But the opportunities that I've had have come about because I tend to say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have a go at that. I'll have a crack at that. And I think that more than anything is the approach that increasingly we need we need to take and it is a very different mindset and it's a very difficult mindset I think for a lot of people to embrace and whether I'm wired differently I I genuinely don't think I am I can be very comfortable falling back into routines like anybody when things get a bit hard you do try to revert to type but it's that willingness to to recognize that in yourself and continue to push yourself forward. And it's those kinds, that kind of thinking and that kind of beating yourself at your own game is what will enable you to find the opportunities when mm. everything is changing. That's what I think is a really important way to start to teach yourself to do things now. Look at what you're doing as a routine. Look at how you react when something ha- changes in that routine. How annoyed are you? And then realise that it's, you know, is it that big a deal? What's the worst that can happen? That kind of thinking. And and just try to push yourself forward a little bit every day until you're sort of open to going, yeah, change, that's kind of cool. What's new today? Or (laughs) that didn't go to plan. Hmm, I would have done this differently. Next time I will. You know, being able to to navel gaze Mm. and push yourself back into that space to rather than beat yourself up, be afraid and yeah. sit back and wait for it to happen to you. What I hear and what you're saying is uh, resilience and adaptation and proactiveness in terms of, you know, looking at, you know, learning from failure and, and recognizing that it's part of the process and, and that that's where often the greatest learning is, but also actually just going after what you want. I really love what you said before about, how you know many of the people whose jobs are likely to be disrupted are perhaps you know there's more for them to offer and that they could pivot uh, you know as as many the, of the careers um, seem to be you know like like you know your own career being a very good example of that that sort of doesn't stay in one place or one industry at any given time it's just um, continually changing which is really hard because if you then start talking to people whose entire you know rec- recruiters for example who 
um, whose entire job is to place people in, in roles, they still try to pigeonhole you. Yeah, they sure do. Into really specific things. And that doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. Uh, what I can do is is quite broad. And what I can do well is quite broad. There's the whole philosophy from IDEO, which is around I-shaped people versus T-shaped people. I-shaped person being someone who does one thing very well and a T-shaped person who does one thing very well. And the, the crossbar is you know a lot about little things. I sort of, sort of see it more as an M with a line across the top. I do a lot of things really well and really deeply, but I've got a lot of other stuff that I can do just a bit. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just enough to be dangerous as well um, before <laughs> I can call in a real expert to get things done. I love it. So I'm going to shift over into um, my leadership questions. So can you tell me, I mean, you've worked with lots of different people and you've, you've seen people respond in different ways. You've seen whether it's large organizations or, or newer organizations. So when you think of the word leadership, what does it mean to you now that is different than when at a different point in your life? That's a good question. I think when you say leadership, I, I think back in my career to probably three really distinct people that I had the, the pleasure of working with and all three of them what they had in common was that they gave the opportunity to go and have a go at something they reckoned that you know I need this done do you reckon you could have a go and I'd say yeah sure mm-hmm. so they gave me enough rope basically and they were there to help when I needed it, but they were more than willing just to let me run at something, which is kind of invaluable. So to be a leader now, it can it can be incredibly hard when you're under the pump for a deadline, you've got something really important and you have to now entrust someone else to do that. It's very hard. So I try to bring back that when I'm leading a team or to remember that that's how I learned and how do you how do you guide as opposed to do it's sort of an, an endless struggle and it's not managing per se which is different from leadership it's being able to to set the vision and get everybody aligned around a belief so the people that work with me tend to have that same belief around mm-hmm. why we can't let these large enterprises fall over so having this this shared belief, I think, is is vital to leadership because then it isn't necess- It is work, but it's you, you're going for a cause, and that enables people to feel empowered and to make decisions with the right intent. Still, things will go wrong, but the intent is right. So that's, I guess, where I've come come from from what I experience as great leadership. I also had a fantastic um, leader once in uh, management consulting in a very large global firm. (laughs) And people used to think that he and I hated each other because we would have stand-up arguments. But we were the best of mates because we were there to challenge each other's thinking. And by the time we'd had one of our stand-up conversations that we saw and people just thought we were arguing, we would go fantastic. We've we've worked out everything that will and won't work, and we've both managed to change our own opinions six or seven times. In that conversation, we've come to this point. We might disagree, but we're going to commit, disagree and commit, and we're going to go forward from here until we might have to pivot and do something else. So that was, again, incredibly good learning to be able to articulate your story, 
change minds, mm. have your own mind change, mm-hmm. which can be an interesting experience, and and circle back around. And there's there's actually that's a, um, a Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. philosophy is mm. to disagree but commit. If you, you you have the conversation, you might still disagree, but you commit to going forward until you find another piece of information where you have to reassess. That's how you move forward rapidly, and that is another one of these leadership um, styles or techniques or ways of being, particularly in this highly, you know, change mm-hmm. periods of change where everything's in constant flux. Otherwise, you could sit around and debate it forever, and ev- everyone will just f- feel confused and hamstrung, and they don't know what to do. But you've got to make a decision, and you've got to move forward. You can always change your mind but we've got to go somewhere. Otherwise, people freeze. And that mm. do, is what happens often in large organisations. They, yeah. they don't know which way to go, so they don't go at all. Those, having those conversations, the robust conversation, then, then committing what comes to mind is um, Patrick Lencioni's work around team leadership and that there's that base layer of trust that is essential. And the next level up is the ability to have those robust conversations and be able to have it out and and to, mm. to come through the other side and then uh in terms of the commitment piece uh peter block's community the structure of belonging he talks about dissent and commitment as two very important conversations and being able to say actually no i really don't like that idea and this is what i'm concerned about and then being able to after having had the opportunity to say those things the ability to commit is far greater than it is just being told this is what you're doing absolutely yeah being told what you're going to do, you will not get any of that buy-in. You will, you will not be on a mission together. It will be excruciating. And as you said, trust is so vital. And teams that do not trust each other will either white mm. each other, gaslight each other, yeah. or freeze, especially when they're staring down yeah. the barrel of some of this stuff that is, is yeah, coming yeah, yeah. very rapidly. In- so with that in mind, with the things that are coming and the, the new ideas that are starting to emerge, if someone came to you with an idea, they wanted to start a business or have an app or perhaps they you know, want, even want to write a book or, or start a YouTube channel, what, um, what would you say to them, especially if they're recognizing that they have those internal and external barriers? What kind of advice would you have? I think the most important thing, regardless of, of whatever it is that you're seeking to do is to really understand mm. what the gap is, what the pain, what the, what is the pain that you're trying to solve, what are you trying to take away. Once you understand that, that will emerge what the opportunity is. And the opportunity might be something completely different from what you had in mind. You might, yes, you might want to realise you wanted to start, uh, you know, create an app for something. But in the end, you might realise that what you really need is a, you know, a singing circus troupe. <laughs> you, you just don't know. You've got to kind of be open to doing a lot of, you know, very divergent and convergent thinking. We didn't know we wanted iPhones. Up until the iPhone came out, we wanted really small little phones um, with all the buttons on the <laughs> – the smaller your Nokia, the cooler you were. And then suddenly there was this, this heavy glass thing that had one button. You had to back it up all the time like a computer – you had to put new software on it. It just seemed like onerous. We didn't, we didn't, if someone had told mm. us that that's what it was, we would have all said no. But when we got it, we wanted it and it filled a need we didn't know we had. So that's when we really start playing in the fun space. And sometimes you don't know what that is until mm. people, customers don't know what they want until you give it to them, which is ironic when we're trying to solve problems. But most people come up with an idea rather than understanding the gap 
and that opportunity. If you don't solve the pain, you're not going to be able to to find a solution. Your idea is just one way to solve that problem. Mm. It may not be the way. It reminds me of, I think, was it Henry Ford that said that if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said to, that they wanted a faster horse? It is um, It is a, a, a statement that said Henry Ford didn't actually say it, which is a bit of a shame because it's a cracker. Um, but, that, but that's exactly the sentiment of, of this. Mm. Henry Ford did say a lot of very wise things, but he didn't say that. Which I was very disappointed about because I've always loved that as a as a quote. I'll uh, I'll find out and I'll put the, a link to the in the show notes to, as to who actually said it. Yeah, I don't know whether it's I don't know whether anyone said it, but whoever did attributed to him. Oh, okay. So now it is by default attributed to him, but he did say some other very mm, interesting yeah. things around creativity and creation at the time. The last question I wanted to ask you is, uh, is, especially for those who may not be on that entrepreneurial track or thinking creatively about their careers, what advice would you have for people who are afraid of this disruptive wave that is happening thick and fast in terms of, you know, the, the future of our, our um, workforce? Is there, is there anything that you can think of that would be, um, that you would suggest to people? I would say just read Read as much as you can. Try and read every day. Read about the stuff that's coming. The more you understand about it, the more you'll be able to have ideas and have opinions and and be part of it as opposed to having it thrust upon you. There are some great books around. Um, there's one I've just finished listening to while I'm at the gym, which is a great way to mm. spend your time, which is called The Inevitable Okay, by, Ke- by Kevin Kelly. And Kevin Kelly is one of the guys, he's one of the original founders of, of Wired magazine oh, way yeah. back and, and way, way beyond that. And it's it touches on a lot of the stuff that's happening now and where it could go. And it's got some really interesting aspects of it. And one of the bits that I really loved that I listened to last uh, couple of days ago, which was ironic because I'd been speaking about only that morning, was that the most one of the most important skills that we need is to how to ask really good mm. questions about this stuff and the more that you read the more good questions you're going to have that you can then you know when other people ask the questions you will have answers to or you can in, you know enter these conversations around the stuff and once you can talk about it and learn more about it it becomes far less threatening and you can see how it's going to help rather than hinder and facilitate you to do things rather than take away the, take things away that you're afraid of. So I, I think just reading and absorbing and understanding what is mm-hmm. coming in terms of what technology is possible and what that might mean, that that to me is the, the great leveller. Yeah, okay. I like that. Are there any other resources that you would recommend? That's the most interesting one. I've, the other ones um, that I'm reading currently are, are very specific to different okay. industries and banking and a whole bunch of things, which are a bit dry. But that um, that one, the inevitable, is is uh, a really interesting and really easy to read. And if people don't have any comprehension about any of the technology that's sort of there now, he, he explains that mm. in a really interesting way as well. Yeah, okay. Mm. 
have to check that out. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I've been listening to Peter Diamandis um, talk about uh, the, the one that he talks about what's coming and, and um, he talks with his coach about things like the moonshot and, you know, um, driverless cars mm. and, you know, living until he's 800 or however old that he's, he's anticipating and, and things like the X Prize um, and, you know, things like loving Star Trek as a kid and then being able to, as an entrepreneur now, put things like having the tricorder be an X Prize and, and coming up with that kind of technology. Well, that seems really interesting. Yeah, because Star Trek, Star Trek has invented pretty much everything that we have now. So when we look, there's the new series of Star Trek on Netflix currently. And so, again, looking at the technology that they've got there, I'm wondering how far that is is into the future because mm. Star Trek is, has always predicted the future, um, which is a, a fascinating uh a fascinating study when you look at go back and look at stuff and they've basically got an iPad. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. And they've got all this stuff and you think, yeah, we finally, we've kind of caught up. Another really great, a great guy to, to follow and read and, and watch some of his videos is a guy who's at NYU Stern School of Business. His name's Scott Galloway. Okay. He's fascinating. He's got a, a company now, which I, I think it's called L2 Inc., Dot com and he has a lot of um, articles and stuff that he comes out. But he did a great video about two and a bit years ago now called The Four Horsemen. Okay. Which was around Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. It was just before the watch mm. came out, so it is going oh, back yeah. in time. But he did make – he just makes some really fantastic um, insights, some of which have become true, some of which haven't. Um, how he explains how Apple is the only company in the world that began – as a, a niche brand and it has become a luxury brand. Mm. Um, that's, it's, a, it's about 15 minutes long. He delivers it absolutely deadpan. It is rapid fire, deadpan, hilarious, mm. wonderfully, wonderfully delivered. Very, very, um, lots of views I'd imagine on YouTube. Mm, yeah, definitely. I'll have to check that out. And again, put a link in the show notes. Mm. Is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners, whether it's around innovation, whether it's around disruption or, or career path or, or anything that um, you want our listeners to hear before, before we finish up? I guess the only thing is that there's, there's lots of commentary currently in the media about, you know, the end of the world is nigh and that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, it's just another phase we have people freaking about about how long our kids spend on screens and that sort of stuff and that we should be restricting it. And it's like, well, when I was a kid, we were all told that the TV was going to ruin us, you know, mm. going to ruin our brains and our eyes and blah and whatever. And when books were first became a thing that was mm. believed that, that was going to break down all the traditional storytelling in cultures mm. and it would affect everyone's eyesight because we're reading at night by candlelight, <laughs> there's always something in whatever phase of this of the technical technological revolutions that are happening, um, where there's the naysayers or the luddites and fear of you know the take yeah it's just fear of the unknown and so the only thing that you can do if you're afraid of something is to educate yourself about it. Mm. So that's that's just my fundamental position on all of this stuff. Fantastic. What a great note to end on, Jen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and. Um, Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you very much for having me, Tabitha. 
I like that her experience of leadership relates to people who gave her an opportunity and about robust conversations with a colleague that included not only changing other people's minds, but having your own mind changed. And that at times the importance of disagreeing and committing and moving forward. I've got all the links to what we talked about in the show notes. So, but if there's anything missing, please let me know. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes for that. I like Jan's advice about what's coming to read and understand and to be able to have opinions and engage in discussion, to be part of it rather than being on the outside looking in. I think this is important because the more we have people who have half a clue about what's going on and what's coming and what the future could be, the more we can have discussions about the future we want to create instead of leaving it up to a few tech giants. What do you think about blockchain, universal basic income, 3D printed clothing that actually fits your shape? virtual reality as a way to train people doing hazardous work in a safe environment. It's endless. A previous guest suggested picking something you're interested in and start there. Or maybe you could start where you are, or start with what you're most concerned about, and look at the discussion surrounding that topic. What else can you do to shift what you're concerned about regarding the future, whether it's about livelihood or well-being or just humanity in general? If you haven't already listened to episode 27 with Gus Harvey from Future Crunch, I highly recommend it. Really inspiring stuff about the future there. And there's so much more that Jen and I could have talked about and I'd wish that I'd asked her about. But for me, this is very much about her journey, the choices that she made, what she values, and all of the things that she did that brought her to leading some of the largest digital transformation initiatives in the country. She's also founded a handful of startups. We could have talked about that, and perhaps another time we will. Another thing I took from Jen's story is that pursuing what you're interested in is the way to lead your career. She was looking at how the internet would impact business before it was overly commercialized or even understood by her supervisor. But she just kept going, and she didn't really have a master plan, and she ended up in a great spot, in a position to help prevent what we fear, the collapse of large organizations, and helping them modernize. As much as there's part of me that hopes they'll fall over, I know that that's perhaps more symbolic of the change that I hope to see. Speaking of which, are you a change maker? Is there a change that you're working toward? I'm looking for people who are committed to making a change in the world. It could be social justice, environmental sustainability, or whole systems change, or maybe using business as a force for good, working with community organizations to have a positive impact. I'm essentially looking for people who are as keen to move humanity forward as I am to be part of a research project that I'm doing. And I mentioned this last episode as well. So I think most of us essentially are working towards positive change in some respect, at least most of us who are in the tall poppy community. And the upshot is, I want to talk to you. Starting in November, I'm going to be having conversations with change makers to find out what helps, what hinders, and how you relate to the change that you've dedicated a good chunk of your life to. It doesn't matter if you're doing this as part of your work or voluntary or some combination. If you want to get more information about the Changemaker Project or want to be part of it, you can email poppy at tathrastreet.com. It involves about a 15 to 20 minute conversation via phone or Skype or Zoom, depending on time zones and technology, etc. And I will send the questions once we set up a time to talk. I've got a lot of my own ideas about change making from my own experience as an activist and change advocate, but to inform my perspective, I'm doing the Change Maker Project to gather info that will help us all as change makers be more effective. Because as you well know, now more than ever, we need effective change making. And how we've done it in the past, 
a lot of the time, I think that's probably not what's called for today. And perhaps it's time for us to get creative and learn from each other. So that's ultimately the intention of this project. I'm going to draw out the themes and publish it in some form so we can all learn from the results. So if you want to be part of it or know someone who's a change maker I should talk to, email poppy at tathrastreet.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for your patience as we didn't have an episode last week due to a major technical gaffe, also known as user error. (laughs) Thankfully, I've got a redo on that interview that I lost and it's just as good. And you'll be able to hear that next episode. It looks at the shadow side of leadership with Stephen Duns from Leadership Victoria. So you can subscribe to make sure you don't miss it or you can sign up to my newsletter on my website, tathrastreet.com. That's T-A-T-H-R-A. S-T-R-E-E-T.com. And you can also find past and future episodes there. And you can unsubscribe anytime if you're not getting the value you expect. I won't take it personally. The newsletter is kind of semi-frequent um, and updates a lot of things before it goes public. And of course, I welcome feedback. So you can email me directly, future at tathrastreet.com, or leave a review to help your fellow listeners make an informed decision to listen. And hey, Tall Poppy turns one next episode. So we're coming up on a full year of podcasting. So yeah, thanks for being part of this Tall Poppy community where we have listeners in Japan, New Zealand, Germany, Canada, the UK, Sweden, Vietnam, the Netherlands, and of course, Australia and the US. Thank you to all of you. Thanks for being part of this raw, real conversation about how we can lead differently in business, work and life so we can create a new future to thrive into. We'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>